morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here and part of our services here. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, good. Man, this is starting off great this morning. I'm excited. It is good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. And, and, and before we go any further in our service, I want to deliver on a promise that I made for you last week. That if you would come back this week, we would have the video presentation of the various pictures and sights and sounds of our trip to Kenya. Uh, Todd Bevel, Kim Tuning, Kim Maynard, Ray Daniel, myself, uh, and a friend of ours, Jeff Meyer, went on this trip. And so I believe we've got that queued up. And here are some of the sights and and some of the sounds. Some of the the background music you're going to hear are are actual songs that the kids uh, sang and and, and that we uh, encountered in some of our worship services were there. So this is live. These are these are some of the songs that were being sung, and these are some of the pictures from our trip. Thank you. 
Kenyans have this uncanny ability to be able to whistle in a way that I have never been able to hear elsewhere, and I cannot replicate. I can't whistle very well anyways. I would give anything if they could train me how to do that. That would just be awesome. That way, if any of y'all went to sleep, I'd learn how to whistle real quick and wake you up. Um, I also noticed in the first service, as we was looking at those pictures, it's, it's kind of hard for you to understand the context of a lot of those, just because you're just seeing still shots, and so it's it's sort of a challenge to recognize what's going on behind the scenes there. And, and, and so what I want you to be advised of is the same thing we discussed last week in our services. Is once the Guatemala team has gone, which they will be leaving uh, the second week of July and traveling to Guatemala City and ministering there in homes and churches and in schools, uh, doing VBS, things along that line. Once they have returned and we can combine our times together, we want to have a service on a Sunday morning which we're able to give you a little more context to the things that you've seen. And that way you can understand a little more of what uh, we are doing and partnering in those two areas and how, uh, how our funds are being spent there, but, but not only that, what God is doing there. And so I look forward to that taking place. We'll get, we'll get together with, with Stephen Maynard and with, with Todd and, and we'll, we'll, we'll collect that together. And then sometime towards the end of summer, we'll be able to come back and be able to present that for you. And I think that will be a wonderful Sunday morning to be able to explain all that, and that'll, that'll work well. Um, speaking of, of Vacation Bible School, you've already seen our kids sing this morning, and, and my wife has already uh, explained a little bit to you. You know, we had kids all over the place, crawling. Some were crawling, some were running, some were, some were walking all over this campus uh, all this past week. And the concerted effort of all of our leaders and teachers and volunteers was really to point people to Jesus. And we wanted to sow seeds of the gospel in their hearts. And as she mentioned, praise the Lord, we, we saw 25 kids be able to check that they wanted to take a step further in their faith in Jesus Christ. Is that not just an amazing thing? We're so excited about what God is doing there. We've already begun to follow up with some of them, and we're going to continue that uh, in the days and weeks ahead, not only with them, but with their parents as well. And so we're excited about what God is going to give us the opportunity, how to invest into those children. And, and all I can say is praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that He has shown His self to be faithful and that He continues to display His grace and mercy in, in, in their lives. And so we are truly excited about that. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, and he did that in Genesis 1 when he, when he called there to be light. He says, God, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, well, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, in many ways, that is our mission. That was... That was the mission that we had uh, with VBS. That was that we would take the light that we have been given and that we would shine it forth so that others could see it. And it's also the same, another metaphor that's there is that we sowed seeds into the hearts of kids. And it really, those two metaphors, I think, sort of give us an understanding of what our purpose in Vacation Bible School was all about. It was to, to shine lights and to sow seeds. And I would suggest to you that that really is the, the two metaphors that oversee what we do as a church. 
Our, our goal as a church is to shine lights and sow seeds. And so I've actually used that as the title to my sermon this morning, Shining Lights and Sowing Seeds. And, and it really opens us up to uh, the passage that's before us today in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at the next section. As you'll recall, if you were with us last week, we, we looked at the first 20 verses of Mark, chapter 4. And that passage really tells us about the, 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 the parable of the soils. And we, we saw there that Jesus taught us about four different types of soils. The first three soils that he talks about were all bad kinds of soils. And those represent different types of hearts in which the gospel seed is sown. You might recall that we looked at there was the hard heart, there was the shallow heart, and there was the strangled heart. Those are the first three types of soils that were there. But then there was the fourth soil that Jesus described. It was the good soil of that passage. And in that, it describes the, the receptive heart. It describes the heart that willingly receives the gospel message. And then that, that message goes down and it germinates and it begins to grow and produce kingdom fruit. Jesus said some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some even 100-fold. Now that was the parable of verses 1 through 20 that Jesus gave and then interpreted for us. And then what we find, then beginning in verse 21, is immediately following that parable, Mark finds some other teaching and sayings that Jesus gives. And that Mark has put them there, really, I believe, as a commentary in order to expand upon what it means to produce a kingdom crop. We learn from these words what it means for our lives to actually be impacted by that gospel seed. And so that's where we begin, there in verse 21. And so I'm going to begin reading there and read down through, through verse 34. Notice what the Bible says. And he said to them, Jesus did, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear, or pay attention to what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truthfulness. Thank you that it truly does penetrate our hearts and 
exposes us. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be given the freedom today to, to work in us. And as we examine these words, may they not simply just be words on a page, but that they will be words that will take root in our hearts and will abide in us and would challenge us and would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us to convict us of areas where we need to be convicted. We pray that it would just not be some intellectual endeavor in which we engage, but that true spiritual growth may happen as a result of the time that we spend in your holy word this morning. You promise us that your word is truth. So we pray that you would sanctify us, that you would set us apart, that you would grow us and mature us by your truth. This morning we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe you noticed as I began reading this passage for you that there was a, a continued emphasis in this passage that we saw Jesus emphasize last week to us. You recall that Jesus began his parable of the soils by saying this. He said, listen up. And, and then he went on to say down in verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, if you noticed, when Jesus began to, 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 the, to teach these further sayings and parables, he said the same thing. He continued to stress the, the, the fact that we need to listen up and we need to pay attention. Down in verse 23, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then again in verse 24, he says, Take heed or pay attention. Luke's version says, Look, so pay attention and watch what you hear. Using both senses there. Pay attention to it. I like how Philip Graham Ryken has analyzed the emphasis that Jesus puts on listening here. He says that listening carefully and paying attention to what you hear is one of the basic lessons of Christian discipleship. Riken goes on to remind us that at this point in Jesus' ministry, the disciples who surrounded him were still in spiritual kindergarten. And he says the main thing that children learn in kindergarten is how to listen to their teacher. I got a boy. He's hitting kindergarten in the fall going to be a big lesson for him how to listen to his teacher and I want you to know that same thing is something that all of us need to be aware of in our own lives you see if is if disciples if we've never learned to listen you know then everything else that Jesus has to say to us will be useless I mean after all how can we do what Jesus wants us to do unless we first hear what he has to say. So perhaps the first and foremost lesson that we learn just straight out of the gate as we examine this passage is just simply that we need to listen up and pay attention because what Jesus has to say to us is important. I would also suggest to you that, that we need to listen up and pay attention not only because what he says is important, but sometimes what he says to us is not so easy to understand. And that is certainly the case with what we encounter right here in the first two verses of our text. Let me read them for you again. Jesus asked two basic questions. He says, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Then he says this, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Now, the questions that Jesus asks in this in this text here, they're not hard. They're easy questions, actually. The obvious answer to the first question is no. No one takes a lamp and intentionally hides it under a bed or under a bushel. 
No reason to do that. The obvious answer to the second question is also quite easy. Should a lamp be taken and put on a lampstand? Well, absolutely. That's exactly what you would want to do. The questions themselves are not hard. Rather, the question that has perplexed scholars for centuries is what or whom does the lamp refer to in this passage? Does the lamp refer to the parables that Jesus taught? Many believe contextually that's the first place we go to because back in what he says in verses 11 and 12 that parables were taught in order to conceal the truth but also to reveal the truth. Or in the same context, we might say that the lamp refers more generally to Jesus' message concerning the kingdom of God. I mean, after all, the first words that Mark records from the lips of Jesus in this gospel occurs back in chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we also know that that was why Jesus said that he had come He said that the purpose for his coming was not to do all of the healing miracles, but actually to go from city to city and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom was at hand. So is it the lamp here, the teaching and preaching of the gospel that Jesus refers to? Or is the lamp a reference to Jesus himself? I mean, after all, we learn in Luke chapter 1 verse 79 that Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. We also learn in John chapter 1 that that Jesus is the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. So is the lamp here a reference to Jesus himself? Or does the lamp refer to the calling that is placed upon Jesus' disciples, both in his time and in our time, to shine the gospel light around the world. I mean, after all, Jesus uses a very similar metaphor in his Sermon on the Mount, right at the very beginning of the sermon, there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where he tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So which is it? Well, the interpreter is faced with a few different options right at the beginning, and quite frankly... All of them have a compelling case for each of those possibilities. I mean, after all, remember that the context for this entire passage comes in light of what Jesus has said about the good hearts that or the good soil that received the gospel message, received the seed, and then that seed was sown in their hearts and then it began to grow and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And then after all, what, all, what is the essence of the gospel seed? Well, it's nothing less than the message that Jesus Christ has come to save and to redeem those who will confess and repent of their sins and trust solely in Him to save them. So we can truthfully say that the gospel light, the light that has come into the dark world to light it up, the lamp that has come into the world, well, it is at one and the same time Jesus Christ himself and the message about him that he proclaimed and that we who are his disciples are commissioned to continue to proclaim about him. And so really understanding that on the front end tells us what we need to pay attention and listen to right up front. And so the first point that I want you to see on your outline this morning is this. 
Just as a lamp is designed to bring light into a darkened room, so Christ and his message of the gospel are designed to bring light into a darkened world. Just as a lamp brings light to a darkened room, Christ and the message of his gospel are designed to bring light into a darkened world. Now, if we understand that, and it's absolutely necessary that we do, then we can begin to understand the rest of this passage, what Jesus says. You see, his point is that if you have been given something useful, for example, a lamp in a darkened room, if you've been given that, then it is necessary to use it. A lamp is of no use in a dark room if, when lit, it's placed underneath the basket or underneath the bed. The only way that a lamp is actually useful in a dark room is that when it is lit, it's placed upon a lampstand so that it can shine forth and light up the entire room. But sadly, as we learned last week in our study of the parable of the soils, there are many people who hear God's word concerning Jesus. In other words, the gospel seed is sown liberally in their lives and in their hearts, but it never actually makes a difference in their lives. To quote Philip Graham Rackin again, he says, Some people hear the gospel again and again, but when it comes to glorifying God, they are as useless as a lamp under a basket or a bed. They may even claim to be Christians, but they keep their so-called Christianity to themselves. And then he asked this question, And what good is that? Bishop J.C. Ryle, who ministered well over 150 years ago, he wrote that the gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, or professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to re reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. As pastor here, I'm privileged to, to get an opportunity to meet a lot of different people, folks that come uh, wanting to unite with the church and membership and and I'm blessed, I, I truly love these meetings that we have an opportunity, to, the staff and I, various times, sometimes together, sometimes individually, we get a chance to meet with folks. And I love one of the things that happens in that meeting, and they get to learn a little bit about us and about Ivy Creek, but I get to learn a little bit about them. And I, want, I love to hear how they came to faith. I like to hear what is their testimony? How did they come to know the Lord? And I'll be honest with you, I'm always interested in the way that God brought them into faith. But you know what I'm also always intrigued by? I always love to hear how God is continuing to work in their lives, even now. How they, how they continue to be used in the service of the Lord. Listen, that's exactly what this is all about right here. That's what a lamp that emits light is supposed to do. And it's what we will do if we, if, if we as God's lamps are used properly. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, If I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. In its context, that, that declaration by Jesus was referring to the fact that he would one day be stretched out on a Roman cross and crucified for our sins. But we must also recognize that every time we tell about Jesus' crucifixion and explain to people why he had to be crucified, well, that is also a means by which we are lifting him up. 
It means that we are continuing to carry the light of Christ to a world that is darkened. So Jesus himself is the light and the message about him is the light that we who are his disciples must carry into a darkened world. Now, we need to remember that in telling us this, Jesus tells us to listen up and pay attention. He says this is important. Why is it important? Well, because he goes on to say this. He says, there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. In other words, as the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. As Paul tells us in Romans 12, excuse me, Romans 2 verse 16, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Friend, the reason that Jesus, what he tells us here is so important. The reason that each and every one of us in this room need to sit up pay attention and listen up is that one day each and every one of us will stand before the God of heaven. And when we do, there will not be one thing that we can hide from. We will not be able to conceal anything. We won't be able to spin anything. We won't be able to run from anything. We will not be able to dodge anything. And on that day, if we have hidden what has been given to us in Christ, our sins will find us out. Now here's where the challenge gets even harder. Jesus answers for us what happens if we don't use the light that we have been given properly. In other words, what happens... If we take the lamp and then we put it under a bushel basket or we shove it underneath the bed and we don't put it on a lampstand, well, notice what he says. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, I like the way that Mark Strauss has explained these verses. He says, those who hear and respond to the message of the kingdom of God will receive even greater revelation, while those who reject what they have heard will be blinded even further. Norville Geldenhus has, has said it this way. He says, while those who listen to him with a believing, surrendered, and obedient heart will be given a deeper and more intensive insight into the spiritual life and into his word, the indifferent and disobedient ones will lose even the little measure of spiritual knowledge and joy of life which they possess. Friends, the importance of what Jesus says here cannot be overemphasized. So the question is, how can you and I test ourselves? How can we, in light of what he's been teaching, evaluate our lives and do that, that really circumspect opportunity of looking into our lives and, and checking it out? Well, the first question we must ask is this, is my life bearing kingdom fruit? Has the light of Christ, has it broken into my darkened heart and has the gospel message transformed me? Am I, am I bearing witness to his life and to his words with my actions? Am I growing in my knowledge of spiritual things 
and the mysteries of God. Really, really, that becomes a, a, a telltale sign. Am I growing in my understanding of the Word? Do I have a desire to grow in those understandings? Or have, have I become dull? Friend, here's the irrefutable principle of spiritual growth. Those who express faith and trust in God will find Him to be faithful. And therefore, they will gain a greater confidence and trust in Him. Those who do not, those who never do anything with the knowledge that they have been given, well, they will never grow spiritually because ultimately they will lose what they had. That leads me to the next point that I want you to see on your outline this morning. The second point that I want you to notice is this. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear must use that which they have been given or risk losing it. Simply put, Jesus says you either use it or lose it. We must, what we must come to understand is that what, whenever we hear the Word of God, we are called to believe it and we are called to do it. What we believe, when, when we're, we, we, we engage in faith, when we believe and we trust, but our faith, if it is of any substance at all, will be lived out through a life of obedience. So, so up to this point, what Jesus has done is he's kept with this metaphor of, of a lamp and the light that it gives off. And, and we recognize that he is, he is the light and we who are his true disciples will radiate that light. And the light of his gospel will be carried by our actions and our words to a darkened world. But then, knowing that, we recognize that then if we are called to be light bearers and if we are called to be seed sowers, we recognize that not everything that we are called to do is going to be easy. Nor will it always produce something that is readily available for us to get our hands around and rejoice in. In other words, we may be called to a long row of hoeing. And we may have a long way to go before we ever reach and see some of the results. And to that end, Jesus has now given us a couple of parables to encourage our hearts. Because we need to be encouraged as we continue to work and to serve the Lord in the, man, in the ministry that He's given us. So notice, He gives us two short parables. And in doing so, He moves back to the metaphor of sowing seeds. And the way that I think that these parables work in the context is, like I said, to give us encouragement. He's, he's warned us and he's forced us to evaluate our lives based upon how well we're bearing witness to him. Now he wants to encourage us through sowing seeds. Now, the first parable occurs in verses 26 through 29. And it reminds us that while we are responsible to sow the seed, we are not the ones responsible to grow the seed. This parable itself is really quite simple. Simple enough to understand. A, fa a, a farmer... He scatters seed upon the ground, and after that seed has been sown, then the farmer has to wait for the germination and the growing process to begin to take over. There's no further human intervention that Jesus describes in this parable other than the sowing of the seed. And once that's completed, once the seed has been sown, it's now up to God to bring the increase to pass. Now, there are two main thoughts that this parable teaches us. First... The reaping of the harvest is something that takes time. And it requires patience. I think of, think of some of my missionary friends that I went to seminary with. Some of them that I'm still friends with and are able to talk and they serve in some very dark places in the world. And, you know, I hear some of their prayer requests at times about 
how they serve the Lord and they, they are planting, they are working, they are, they are ministering to people, they are witnessing and they do this, this week after week after week, month after month, year after year and they see precious little results for the efforts in which they engage in. Some of you may feel that way in your own context. Maybe that's because of the witnessing and the, the work that you've done with your children, your grandchildren. Perhaps it comes as a result of some of the, the work that you've done trying to, to share the good news of the gospel with your parents or grandparents or a, a sibling or a friend. Maybe you're discouraged because of that, because you're not seeing that grow. If so, you need to remember what this parable teaches us. Remember the other passages of Scripture that also encourage us. What Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse 9. He says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Or what he writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. He says, but as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. It's easy to have that happen. Yesterday, I, you know, my whole family was home all day. First time, and I couldn't tell you when. We were there. And Charlie said, Daddy, look out on the back deck. Won't you see something? So I went out there, and, and in, in this pot, Charlie and his mama had planted some seeds inside this dark black soil that was there. And about three or four little bitty sprigs of flowers had started to come up and come through that soil. He was so excited about that. I don't know how many weeks ago it was that they planted those seeds, but he'd been going out there and looking at it to see if it was ever going to come up. And he finally was able to see those first little sprigs come through that dirt. And he was so excited. Now, Charlie doesn't realize that he's learning horticulture. But you know what else he's learning even more importantly? He's learning exactly what this parable teaches. Is that when you sow those seeds, sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is just to wait. To trust God. And to recognize that He is going to bring the increase from that. Matter of fact, that's the second real emphasis of this parable. You see, as we remain patient, we recognize that God is the one who causes the growth of those seeds. You see, Jesus says the farmer doesn't know how the seed sprouts and grows. All the farmer needs to know is that the growth comes as a result of God's sovereign work. Yes, after sowing seeds, yes, there's watering and there's weeding and there's fertilizing that takes place. But the point is that the growth, the sprouting, first the blade, then the, then the head, and then finally the full grain in the head, that's God's work. And He is the one who brings that process to pass. And we, we reap the benefits of it, but we do so recognizing that in our patience we wait on God and that we trust Him and that He is at work. And that leads me to the third point that I want you to see this morning on your outline. Third point is this, the faithful sowing of gospel seed must also be accompanied by patience to wait for the harvest, recognizing that kingdom growth ultimately comes as the result of God's sovereign work. That is a word of encouragement to each of us. 
But now notice that Jesus moves from that encouraging word to another one, another parable, this time about the growth of the mustard seed. And this one, like the previous parable, is Jesus' way of explaining what the kingdom of God looks like. And in this parable, Jesus describes how a mustard seed, which was proverbially known as, as for its very small size, he says that when it's planted, it would germinate and it would grow into a very large plant. In fact, in Palestine, the black mustard seed often grows to a height of about 10 feet. And it has very large leaves, especially around its base. And, and because it's of its ability to provide shade and because of its ability to continue to produce more seeds, it becomes a, a, a great haven for birds when they come. They want to rest there. Now, Jesus tells us this parable because he wants to make a point that from very inauspicious beginnings, such as the minuscule mustard seed, enormous growth can take place which is illustrated by the large mustard plant. Now, the point as it relates to the kingdom of heaven is that at the time that Jesus said this, the kingdom of God may have seemed very unimpressive. I mean, Jesus had come to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And, and at this point, if you just were to evaluate what it looked like from an outsider's perspective, it wasn't much at all. As a matter of fact, very few of the large crowds who had followed Jesus had actually committed themselves to him by faith. But, Jesus makes clear from this parable. From that small band of disciples, it would ultimately grow a movement that would ultimately surpass all other religions that were present in the Greco-Roman world. And what may have seemed insignificant at the time would ultimately produce a massive consequential impact in the world. And I want you to know that ought to be an encouragement to you and to me. You see, likewise today, when you and I are drawn to become sorrowful and dejected over the overwhelming influence of Satan that we see in our world today, one only has to just look with a cursory glance at the headlines at times to just become so dejected at what we see happening across our world today. The tragic results of the darkness that continues to envelop everything that we look at. When we look at that, we might be tempted to become so dejected that we lose hope. But when that happens, we should remember this. Oftentimes it's in the very small and even in the things that we might deem to be trivial ways that we are obedient to God's Word, that God takes that and He uses it to bring great consequences. We should also remember that as Mark Strauss has evaluated that throughout Scripture, God uses small and insignificant things to accomplish His purposes. Gideon's tiny army of 300, well, they were ultimately able to defeat the mighty Midianite army. And David, who was a mere shepherd boy and the youngest son of Jesse, he defeated the giant Goliath and eventually became Israel's greatest king and the model and prototype of the coming Messiah. And as Paul would write later to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 and 28, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. 
You know what all that tells us? It tells us that in our faithfulness and sowing, we must be encouraged that since, as we have seen, kingdom growth ultimately comes as a result of God's sovereign work, it also tells us that we can be encouraged that while He will use us and use us in our continued faithfulness, even in the small things, to bring about His plan to produce a great harvest. John writes in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That leads me to the last point that I want you to see on your outline this morning. The first po- fourth point on your outline today is this. What may be viewed as small and insignificant in human terms can be used by God to accomplish great things in his kingdom. So the question before us this morning, in light of all that Jesus has told us here in this teaching, is simply this. Are you shining light? Are you sowing seeds? Are you bearing kingdom fruit? Jesus makes it clear that to conceal the light that you have been given is an invalid and an inappropriate response. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, has shone into our hearts so that we might shine His light, so that others may see our good works, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Are you doing that? Concealing His light will ultimately result in judgment. You need to know this. Failing to use the light that was given will result in its ultimate loss. On the other hand, living obediently in light of God's Word will produce growth. It will produce spiritual maturity, which will ultimately cause us to grow stronger and stronger in our faith and in our practice. And as we do that, we will continue to sow seeds and shine lights for Christ, confident that He will cause the seeds to grow in the hearts and the lives of others. We'll also take heart that no matter what the Lord gives us to do, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem, there is nothing small or insignificant to Him when it comes to our obedience. He will use our efforts to bring Him glory. All of that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning with which I will close. Careful hearers of the word will be faithful sowers of gospel seed and can be confident that God will build his kingdom through the light of Christ and his gospel. Are you a careful hearer of the word? Are you a faithful sower of gospel seed and a shiner of the gospel light? Because brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning.